Pastor's Cut podcast for the week of June 5th, 2022. I'm sitting here with two other of my favorite people, Super Dave. Super Dave, say hi. Hello. Marissa, say hi. Hi. And uh, we're going to walk through Jeremiah chapter 20 today, and we were discussing just before we hit record of how depressing this particular chapter is. I mean, you want to talk about somebody riddled with anxiety, Mm. almost to the point of being suicidal. So we decided... Need to have something a little chipper up front, or we're all just going to need a Valium by the end of this recording (laughs) session. So uh, we thought we'd talk about graduation, because this is graduation season. My One of my sons, my oldest son, my middle child, just graduated from the Oklahoma Baptist University, and so great institution. Great institution. I like the definitive article there. The, the Oklahoma. I put that. I put that in. You know, it, <laughs> so after graduation, it means all the cloud it can get. That's right. Well, <laughs> after graduation, somebody met I me. I speak as an alumni. Let me just you. say that. Well, I think I'm an alumni now because somebody <laughs> met me after the graduation. They said, "Doctor Spoo, it's good to see you here today." So we we're on Ooh. Bison Hill after graduation. I think I just had a doctorate conferred I on me. I think so. You and Taylor Congratulations. Swift. Congratulations. Big deal. Done. I'm, me, and, me and T-Swift. <laughs> so uh, any graduation stories, you know, the, the good, the bad, the ugly from your graduation, something that's memorable. So when I graduated from high school. Um, Which is I, what year? 1999. Party Ooh. like it's 1999, baby. <laughs> um, Was Prince your graduation speaker? <laughs> no. That would have been awesome. I, I actually was going to be one of the graduation speakers, and um, I wrote a speech. I ha- we had to submit the speech to the principal and vice principal, who were both Mormons. Okay. I quoted the Bible. Oh. And so they said, you can't say this. I ended up trying to figure out what to do. Someone introduced me to a lawyer with ADF. <laughs> and Dave. I know, dude. <laughs> the, the Mormons... Um, said, okay, you can speak. And so what I found out behind the scenes before all that happened, some more drama, the uh, the rest of my class was going to rally together and say, none of us are going to walk if Dave doesn't get to speak. Very nice. Which was shocking to oh, me. That would have been fun. Yeah. Should yeah. challenge that a little bit. Yeah. So I want to get Dave a t-shirt that says, Dave, causing trouble since 1999. <laughs> yes. That's it. Perfect. Marissa, you got a good one? Um, yeah. I don't know if it's a story, but I got to, uh, my band sang at our play, uh, Sign Sealed Delivered back, by... Back, back, well, we'll back that up. Your band sang? Well, we've already discussed it. Yeah. We don't need to... Oh, we don't need to... Marissa, Marissa was in the band. Work, um, so... <laughs> that, that's Brad for so those we of you did listening a, at home. So we did a... A very funky version of Sign Seal delivered. Is this your ska um, band? It we were ska slash funk. It was a kind of a super okay. band that formed together, kind of like the Traveling Wilburys, but funkier. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like so, Traveling <laughs> <Wilburys>. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. So I don't remember much of the graduation ceremony, but I do remember that. And you can find that recording on YouTube. Um, yes. Somebody in our class just posted it a few years ago. So, uh, um, so there's no. So was what, was, what was the name of your band? Well, again, we've discussed this already. We don't need to do this every time. Yes, we do. Um, it was the Lounge Derbies. <laughs> the Lounge Derbies. The 90s derbies. were a very specific time. Yeah. 
and okay. uh, and but it was us and a few other bands from the high school that, that I think went together. Your to band needs so to great. reunite and do an entire album of Stevie Wonder covers. I that sounds fantastic. I'm okay. sure that's yeah legally totally okay to do. Be quite the mashup. But <laughs> I don't have any great um, you know graduation stories. I will say that I've I've only been invited to speak at one graduation, and if I were to speak at a graduation again, I would probably be under the 10-minute mark because mm-hmm. that's the part of graduation that we all know is a part of it, but nobody really enjoys it all that much. So I was telling our new interns yesterday, I said, if I were to speak at a graduation, I would talk about two things, work ethic and attitude. Mm-hmm. If you can have those two things, you can pretty much write your ticket to any career in life. If you just work hard and have a great attitude while you're doing it, just about anybody would hire you to do that. That sounds great. Absolutely. There's Very my graduation speech. <laughs> Love it. There we Love go. It. Okay. Yeah. Now let's take it down a couple of notches. Are y'all hearing music in your in your, I am. your pieces? I, I found the YouTube version of the lounge derbies. Oh hey, listen, <laughs> you don't need to do that. All right. I was, so. was gonna actually air it, but probably shouldn't. No, do it takes yeah. 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 But make sure you just get the link and send it to the staff. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna jump into Jeremiah chapter twenty. Um, we're we're continuing to walk with um, with the scripture. Seven people who pretty much said to God, uh, anxiety is overwhelming. me. I would rather die or no longer exist than to continue to exist like this. And I'll point out again, these, these are not minor characters in the Bible. I mean, so far we've covered Moses and Elijah and today Jeremiah. I mean, these are your heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. And so anxiety is not an absence of faith. Anxiety is actually an opportunity to build faith if we let it be. So I want to set this up, and then um, I, I think I'm going to read the Scripture today and ask Marissa and Dave to do some commenting. I have a few thoughts in here. But um, basically, Jeremiah is the unpatriotic prophet. Babylon is on the horizon. They're about to invade Jerusalem. And Jeremiah says, we will not survive this one. Mm-hmm. And you can feel for the political leaders, they don't want Jeremiah's message to break the morale of the people who had to fight or the people that would endure this Babylonian invasion. And so uh, Jeremiah is thrown into stocks. Uh, there's a, a temple officer by the name of Pasher who is kind of his arch enemy. And Jeremiah doubles down once Pasher, you know, arrests him and releases him. Pasher says, not only will Jerusalem, you know, go into exile, but you're going to experience this yourself. Mm-hmm. And he said, your parents might have named you Pasher, but God's name for you is Magor Misabib, which means terror on every side. And so it's after this arrest and release that Jeremiah pours out his complaint to God. Um, and I'll, I'll frame it here as we go through, and then and I am going to turn it over to you guys to talk for a little bit. But he complains about three things. He complains about God. First of all, i tell you what, just so I don't monologue here, mm. is it okay to complain to God about God? Absolutely, yes. yes. It's kind of hard to say no. I mean, once I set it up <laughs> like that. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I even said something on Sunday that you'll never say anything to God that will harm your relationship with Him. Y'all, y'all push back against that if you think I've overstated it. No, I think that's great. I, I think even complaining to God shows the trust that you have in him, that uh, there's uh, a saying that, uh, which means um, something else in our, our Karen-obsessed culture, but <laughs> but when you complain to God, you're taking your complaints directly to the manager, so you know that he has power, you know that he has um, the, the faithful will 
to help you out of this. Karen obsessed culture. Did you just make that phrase up? No. Okay. Because my mom's name is Karen, so you got to be very careful. I have some good friends. Poor Karen Miracle. You know, I mean, she didn't ask for any of this. I hope Karen's listening. (laughs) We sure miss, you know, the miracles. We'll have to send this one over just to her. (laughs) Just send send it over to her. There's something about God already knows our hearts. He already knows what's going on inside of us. He would rather have us be completely honest before him. And when we're honest with ourselves and honest with God, we have a better chance of actually working through whatever issues we have than if we're trying to hide and masquerade in something else. I think I think we're on the same page here. Um, Eugene Peterson said that many people's prayer life is equal to a pious coma. And I think that's because we're putting up a bunch of pretense. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just pretending, you know, we need God. When we really need God, it's not coma anymore. It's we're fully awake. And so Jeremiah's first complaint is about the Lord. And this is Jeremiah 20, verse 7. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. So the ridicule that Jeremiah is facing here is, you know, the Older Testament criteria for a prophet is a prophet makes a prediction. If it come, comes to pass, he's a true prophet. If it doesn't come to pass, he's a false prophet. But between Jeremiah's predictions and God's fulfillment was a lag time long enough for people to assume that Jeremiah just was speaking lies. And so it's a great example here of God's not matching Jeremiah's expectation as far as timing. And now, everything Jeremiah said said would come true, but at this moment, there's such a lag that he, Jeremiah kind of feels left out to dry. Hmm. Comments? So there's two images in uh, verses 7 and 8 that are really, really compelling to me and um, really heartbreaking. Um, you mentioned in NIV, it says uh, that that God had deceived Jeremiah, that he had been deceived. But there's other ways to translate those verses, and one of which um, is you have uh, induced me, and I was persuaded. So induced isn't usually a verb that we use much day to day, but if you're a parent, you know it very well, the induction. Um, When uh, the time of pregnancy is fulfilled, you know, the baby descends and labor starts, contractions start in earnest, and and that's what gets everything started. if your baby is completely comfortable where they are, <laughs> or if there's something wrong, then induction is necessary. So in a way, Jeremiah is saying here that, you know, I, I was completely comfortable where I was, um, that uh, he did not want to be birthed as a prophet, and yet God induced him. He was uh, induced to become a prophet. And this goes back to Jeremiah 1.5, before, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah did not want this calling. Um, He was a young man. uh, He was comfortable where he was at. And he did not want to be God's prophet in this way and in this horrible time. And teachers, I hope you're listening to this. This would be a great discussion question to say, has there been a time where you are comfortable where you are and God asked you to move out to an uncomfortable place? That's a great way to apply this. Mm -hmm. Teachers, listen up. Listen to Marissa. Always. (laughs) So the second way to translate this is even more heartbreaking. 
and that um, is that uh, Jeremiah felt enticed or seduced by God, that he thought he was in this loving relationship, this covenant with God that was akin to a, to a marriage. Um, but at this moment, he is so devastated and so ashamed of what he is being made to say, uh, the future that he knows is coming and people are not receiving well, um, that he feels as if he were a rape victim. Um, and that's the imagery that is here. And it's so visceral and so um, heartbreaking and it's very difficult to read. Um, he, he loves God. He wishes to please God. He is God's prophet. He believed that God loved him. But in this moment, he feels like it was a violent seduction is the word, uh, what this word means here, that a strong God overpowered him and he didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, so he's using these words, uh, you know, I'm in a derision daily. And yes, he just came out of the stocks that Peshur put him in. Yeah. But this wasn't a new feeling for him. Every day he felt ashamed. Every day he felt devastated by, by the words that he was saying and the way that people were treating him. Uh, Walter Brueggemann says the verb rendered deceived could be rendered more strongly as harassed taken advantage of, abused, even raped. Jeremiah finds himself helpless before Yahweh's power, which is overwhelming and irresistible and not trustworthy. So those are the words that Jeremiah is using here. Yeah, and he still he still holds on to this. I, I've tried not to talk in God's name, but this this fire, this um, almost this compulsion to speak, I just can't help myself. Mm. Dave, looks like I, you've got something yeah. to say. So I love, I've loved Jeremiah for years and years, in part because I, I think Jeremiah genuinely believed as he started sharing God's word that people would genuinely repent and turn back to him. And they didn't. And as, as time went on and time kept going and people just stood their ground and held on tightly, he almost felt like he was let down by God because he delivered God's message. And people, when, when you hear a word from God, you're supposed to receive it and respond and, and correspondingly resurrender to God. But people didn't do that. And, and so I wonder if he is wrestling at this moment with the fact that He's been faithful to do what, what God asked him to do, but the people have not been faithful to God. And, and so there's some heavy, heavy regret. So in a way, he's a mirror image of Jonah, who we'll look at next week, that here Jeremiah was speaking the word. He wanted the people to repent, and they didn't. Jonah delivered God's message. He really didn't want those people to repent because he wanted God's judgment on mm -hmm. them, but the people did repent. Mm -hmm. And there's just this whole deal here about how deep is our trust of God that when it seems he violates our expectations, do we trust him anyway? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, God just, very rarely does God meet my expectations. Yeah. So now uh, his focus changes now to complaining about the enemies in verse 10. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him, let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived, then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. So uh, here Jeremiah, he knows full well what people are saying about him. He knows the opinion polls just can't get any worse, okay? And so he takes his enemies to God. God, I know what they're saying behind my back. In fact, they're not even saying it behind my back. They're saying it to my face. Uh, I think we as Christians do a lousy job in dealing with our enemies. In fact, many of us deal with our enemies the very same way that non-Christians would. We hate them. We talk about them. We rant online. I think if we are going to be different than the rest of the world, it must start. Probably one of the greatest ways that we can be light in the darkness is how we treat our enemies. 
Um, and, you know, we use a mantra around here, or I do. Hopefully, you know, we're kind of catching on to this. Love them anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people will really try to make you not like them. Well, dead gummit, love it anyway. I think, I think part of it is stubbornness for me, that if somebody makes me not want to like them, I'm going to love them even more, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe it's a little bit of rebellion that's feeding that. But I, I think, too, we, we pray for our enemies and not doing lip service to that. God, I can't fix this enemy. And I think it's okay to pour out our true feelings to God, even about our enemies. But then we say, they are a person that you love as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just because I have trouble loving them right now, God, you have no trouble loving them. They're in your hands. I give them to you. You deal with them as you see fit. And by the way, would you wildly bless their lives? And we can't pray that uh, on an ongoing basis and have enemies still emotionally remain our enemies. I just don't think it's possible. Mm-hmm. I think there's a... Oh, sorry, Dave, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's the the beauty of prayer and the way God designed prayer with us as we wrestle with him and as we lay down things before him and even start saying we want to intentionally pray for those that we're frustrated with. Our frustration melts away the more we pray for them because we genuinely want to see their best Mm -hmm. interests. Yeah, and I think there's a, a lesson to be learned, too, about how we treat our enemies in the way that the Judeans treated Jeremiah. We need to really assess, are the people we view as enemies enemies? Or are they sent to God by God to be prophets in our lives? Um, because Jeremiah was enemy number one. Pashur was a high priest. He was a defender of Israel. I often, you know, since you're such a Churchill fan, I, in, in these chapters, I wonder, it's like, if Churchill came up against a Jeremiah, how would he have treated him? I think he would have been a Pashur. I think, uh, I think he would have been, yeah. too, yeah. So, um, and especially with the language of violation and um, abuse that start this uh, lament, um, I think of the women who've been called um, in the past 10 years in the SBC to be lights and to be prophetic voices, to, um, to call for accountability and transparency amongst our leadership, and how they were constantly called uh, enemies and... Um, demonic. Yes, demonic even. Yeah, this, the report about um, what things were said behind the scenes about these women is just horrifying. This is how Jeremiah felt. Um, when he says, I cried out violence and abuse, I cried out uh, trying to show people. I mean, you can go back to Jeremiah 7 and read about how, all the injustices that were done uh, just outside the temple. Um, the, the widows and the orphans that were being abused and taken advantage of, the children that were being sacrificed. I mean, these are the things that he was rallying against. These were the things that were breaking his heart. Um, I mean, Jeremiah was living in a, in a literal hell on earth. Um, and trying to get the people to see that, and yet they thought he was an enemy of Judea. So to really see, are our people trying to cast a light where we don't want light to shine? Right, and the truth will always come out. Now, Marissa has mentioned the uh, SBC controversy and the independent report that came out this week. Um, I'm just going to put a little plug here. I've, I've made a full statement about that of where I am today on that. Uh, on our May 25th midweek update. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would encourage you to give a listen to that. But we should always um, ask for for the light of God to reveal all the truth that we need mm-hmm. to see. Mm-hmm. So now uh, Jeremiah also complains about himself, and this is the kill me now moment. Um, in verse 14, and yes, we're skipping over some verses, but but very intentionally. Verse 14, it says, Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, and it's a son. May that man be like the towns that the Lord overthrew without pity, probably referring to Sodom and Gomorrah there. 
May he hear wailing in the morning and the, and the battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Man, this is just dark stuff, isn't it? Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow to end my days in shame? So here he says, God, I would just rather not exist at all. Uh, and in the message, when I teach this on Sunday, uh, I'm going to take some time to say this is probably the clearest scriptural snapshot we have of somebody contemplating suicide. Not that Jeremiah was thinking about that explicitly, but he wished not to exist anymore. And please, uh, if you're on the edge and you're considering suicide, get help immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. great counselors that we can refer to. Uh, there's crisis hotlines. Uh, spiritually, I would say, instead of taking your life, consider giving your life. Because many times suicide becomes an option because we feel like we're all alone. But as we'll discuss this, it, in, in Jeremiah does come to this place of surrender because it's the last time he ever complains to this level of magnitude. He pours it all out. But then it seems that he comes back to giving his life completely to whatever God has for him, come good mm-hmm. or bad. Thoughts? Yeah, I think this is just a very realistic um, accounting of what it feels like to be in intense grief. Um, in Grief Share, uh, which is our uh, grief support um, program here at the church, we talk about a tangled ball of emotions, that grief isn't linear. There's not steps to go through. And once you've gone through acceptance, you're in the clear. You're always going back and forth, bouncing between different emotions. So we see uh, Jeremiah singing to the Lord, praising the Lord, um, praising him for his faithfulness and strength. And then immediately, why, why was I born? Um, so it's just a very realistic view of, of just how illogical our brains are during grief, um, that we, we curse in one moment and praise in the next, and, and that's just what it's like to be in this dark night of the soul like Jeremiah is right now. Um, and when we are in those dark moments, it feels like the only thing we've ever known. Um, we talked about this a little bit when we talked last week about Elijah, um, but I, you know, it makes me think since there's so much birth and parenthood in this, in this chapter, it makes me think of like those early days of having uh, a, a newborn. And when you're awake in the middle of the night mm. and you're exhausted oh, goodness, and that yes. baby will not stop crying and you've done all the things, mm. <laughs> it feels like, oh my goodness, I have never slept and I will never sleep again. <laughs> this baby has never stopped crying and it will never stop crying again. Why was noise canceling headphones not invented 20 years I earlier? I yeah. But then when the baby smiles at you, when it laughs, when it cues, you know, it, it feels like, oh, this is fantastic. This is the only emotion I've ever known when I look at this child. You know, <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's, then, yes. it's crazy how our minds work. Um, but just like we talked about last week with Elijah, depression and suicidal thoughts are, are grief. Those feelings are real and they're legitimate. Um, they have absolutely nothing to do with lack of faith in God um, or lack of God's presence, but they really feel permanent in the moment. And I think there's a difference between, and in grief ministry, again, we teach this, that uh, when you're in the midst of really intense grief, that it's completely normal to think to yourself, I would rather die than live through this, or I wish that I wasn't born, or I wish that um, that I could just go be with my loved ones or, or end things now. But that's different than having suicidal ideations. That's different than having an action plan, a plan to, um, to end your life. So uh, Jeremiah, I think, is in that first camp that he knew he would come out the other side of this. Um, but in that moment, it was darkness and he wishes he weren't born. Um, I think that contrasts a lot with Elijah last week, who, you know, he saw the power of God at Mount Carmel and he knew that praying for God to take his life was an action plan. 
Like he was, this is it for me. I mm. want to commit suicide. Um, so he had those suicidal ideations and a plan. His plan was for God to carry out that death. Um, so if you are feeling like life is overwhelming and you wish you hadn't been born, that is completely normal. But if you have a plan, if you have um, uh, ideations and a way to carry that out, um, you do need to reach out to someone right away, just like Darren was saying, and call the suicide prevention hotline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Get help right away if you have a plan. Right now. Dave, your thoughts? So I, I love that this passage shows us that Jeremiah is all alone. He's, he's in stocks. There, there's other people around him, but he's really alone having this conversation one-on-one with God. When we have our deepest, darkest moments, those dark nights of the soul, we really feel like we're all alone and isolated. But Jeremiah still takes those thoughts to God. We can always go to God. We can always take our thoughts to God. The Bible says that he doesn't want to leave us or forsake us. Right. He wants to walk with us in all things. We can also take it to other believers that while Jeremiah was surrounded by people who obviously weren't hearing and listening and believing to what God was saying, we can take it to the community of faith, to other people around us, and we can find hope in numbers as well. So if there's other people around you that you trust, even if you don't know that you can trust anyone, (laughs) call the church office. We'll be more than glad to listen to you, be a lending ear, and pray with you, because you have to know that God doesn't want you to be alone in the middle of what you're walking through. So I want to pull all this together. There's one verse I intentionally left out, verse 13. It says, Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. And here in the middle of his three complaints is this moment of worship. And there have been many people that have looked at this chapter and say, Well, Jeremiah looks bipolar to me. <laughs> you know, here he's complaining, then there's this moment of ecstasy, and then he's back down at the bottom again. I don't think we can ever diagnose somebody at, at a distance of, you know, we're talking 2,600 years. That's unfair. Uh, but there is a principle here, and where we will spend time on this, worship is absolutely essential mm-hmm. to overcoming anxiety. Worship is absolutely essential to ongoing obedience to God. And I want to speak to those especially who maybe you just go to community group and don't come to worship, or you're not coming back in person again. Uh, it's not about the songs that we sing. It's not about you hearing the sermon. It's about being in the presence of God because as we fall in love with Him, then we are filled to be able to meet life and to, to fall in love, to be in love, and to give love to others. Without that, we just we get dry and empty. Worship reminds us of what's really real. And so Amen. I'm not trying to get rid of anybody here at the church, but if, if you say, well, I just... You know, I don't get anything out of worship on Sunday morning. God help us. Mm-hmm. Find a church that you do get something out of worship. Or maybe it's not the church. Maybe it's your heart that needs to change. But we need worship. Um, I've been gone three weeks. I was gone two weeks in Israel, and then I was uh, with COVID. And I just I missed worship. I needed that. And I found my attitude taking a nosedive because I did not have that time of being in the presence of God with other people to bring me back to center, to remind me of what's really real. Uh, Okay, so uh, final word here. Um, We do have some problems going on within our Southern Baptist Convention right now. Um, I'm going to encourage us, listen to the midweek update for May 25th. Also, let's pray for truth to come to light. 
Let's pray for the victims that are involved in this. And let's pray for uh, and pray over every perpetrator and the people who protected them that justice would find them out. Uh, this is what we do because this is what we see Jesus doing uh, with those who are, are wounded and often overlooked. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and may God grant you peace both now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.